The following sermon is brought to you by ThePreachersVault.com, bringing old-time preaching to a new generation. Perhaps you're already open to the book of Colossians right there where the scripture reading just concluded. And if you want to go back there, I'd encourage you to. We're going to be using that context in Colossians chapter 1. We're going to pick up our reading again in verse 12, but we're primarily going to be focusing on verses 15 to 20 today. So Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 to 20. Uh, We will maybe move once or twice just to see how things go. But primarily, we'll stay right in that context. So as I say sometimes, if you can find Colossians chapter 1, you will find everything that we're going to be discussing. And hopefully, we'll discuss it in the right way so you can understand this is the Word of God. It's not mine. So Colossians chapter 1. Now, while some of you are still turning there, maybe while you're scanning the text to see what it's all about, I want to ask you a couple to three questions. And the first question uh, if you feel comfortable doing so, the very first question, I want you to answer out loud. And you can a- either answer it in the affirmative or deny it. You can say yes or you can say no. So just yes or no, as loud as you want to do it. First question, do you love Jesus? Yes, yes. yes. I assume that everybody would say that. Uh, I'm assuming, as I know most of you very well, I'm assuming that when you say that, that you really, really mean it. It's not just words that are coming out of your breath and off of your tongue. It's more than saying it. Yes, you do love Jesus. Now, I want to ask you two questions to follow that up, but don't answer these out loud because all the answers will be so different. But second question, I would ask you very simply, how do you love Jesus? How do you love Jesus? Somebody says, well, if you want to know how I love Him, I I mean, I, I love Him. As far as you can imagine, I love him so much. You know, John 3, 16 says, God so loved the world, he so loved that world. And we try to return that love toward God, especially toward Christ, because he was that only begotten son that's listed there also in John three sixteen. So you say, I love him so much. Somebody else says, well, I remember, and maybe you do, perhaps you don't, but I remember a little bit of our discussion from last Sunday morning. We talked about Christ-like love. And the very first part of that that we read from John 13 in verse 1 uh, told us that Christ loved His disciples, particularly said He loved them unto the, King James speak, unto the uttermost or unto the end. So God loves us to the end. Therefore, we can in turn, as we would with Christ, the same, one and the same, we would love them until the end. So answering the question, do you love Jesus? Yes, we would all affirm that. How do you love Jesus? Well, I love Jesus as far as He would love me, and that's until the end. But here's the third question. Why do you love Jesus? Why do you love Jesus? Uh, this has happened on more than one occasion to me and in my life, my relationship with my wife, but the other day, I saw her there in the laundry room, and it's a step down from the kitchen, the laundry room. I saw her in the laundry room. She was standing there, had her back to me. And I walked up to her and kind of spun her around, kissed her right on the mouth, and I said, I love you. And she responded just like you would expect, exactly like you would expect. She said, what do you want? (laughs) She honestly did. And I said, I I don't want anything. I, I just love you. And her response was, 
Why? Why? And I know she understands my love for her, and I hope that I show her my love more than I speak of my love. But those are honest questions. Why? What do you want? We don't love Jesus because of what we get out of that relationship. Now, certainly, we get a lot out of that. We get all of His knowledge, all of His wisdom, all of His care, all of His concern, all of His compassion, all of His love. Through the love that we have for Jesus, ultimately, that love that would coincide with obedience, we ultimately get not only the church in which we worship, His kingdom, but we ultimately seek after heaven. No doubt that's worth it. But why do I love Him? You say, well, I love Him because He's my Savior. I love Him because He's my, my Redeemer. I love Him because He had the ability and shed His blood to wash my sins. Again, all valid, all right, all true. All of us probably even in any of those would have agreed. But what are some real reasons for loving Jesus? Reasons that would be so agreeable and so consistent and so persistent in our lives that we would never forget them. That's really what we're reading about here. If you want to turn it that way, that's really what we're going to be reading about as we delve into this text here from Colossians chapter 1. Now, the reading went a moment ago from verses 9 through 12. Let's pick up again in verse 12 because we need to recognize we are speaking of Jesus. But then let's read on down just a little bit farther and start bringing out some points of why we should love Jesus, if you will. Notice what it said here. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 12. The writer says, Paul, by the inspiration of God... It says, giving thanks unto the Father who hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints of light, who hath delivered us, that's speaking of God, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom, look at the next phrase, of His dear Son. That word of is a word of possession. He's saying here, this kingdom of which I speak, to which he is the king, is a kingdom that is possessed by God's dear son. Who is that? That's Jesus. That's Jesus Christ. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the master who was one who lived, who was one who died, who was one who saved in whom we have redemption through His Son and who hath delivered us from the darkness and translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. Now keep up the reading here. Here's where we really want to pick up verse 14. In whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sin, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by Him were all things created that were created, that are in heaven, that are in earth, that are visible, that are invisible, where they be thrown to dominions or principalities or powers. And all things were created by Him and for Him. For He is a before, or you could imply there above, but before is the word here we're going to use. He is before all things and by Him do all things consist. Verse 18. And He, that's Jesus, is the head of the body, the church, which is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence. And that word we'll talk about later means to have full authority or to stand above in time and space. 
For it pleased the Father that in him all fullness, completeness should dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him did he reconcile, that is bring back together, did he reconcile all things unto himself. And by him I say, whether they be in earth or whether they be in heaven. Why is that? We'll add verse 21. And you that were, were, were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by the wicked words or wicked works, he hath or hath he now reconciled. Now let's just pause right there. And I want to develop three, four points. I don't know it's as far as we'll get. But I want to develop three major points. And this is answering the question why I love Jesus. And I don't get these out of my mind. I don't get this out of a mentality. I don't get this out of any, any real uh, personal, although it will be personal, but any real personal, been there, done that experience. But I love Jesus because of what this text says about Him. In the first place, verse 15, we're going to key on for this. I love Jesus because He made the invisible visible. You may not see that in that verse, but we're going to reread it, and I hope you'll see it in just a moment. Here's what was stated in verse 15. In who is, speaking of Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. Now, that's just key on that word image, because when we think about Him making the invisible visible, the first way His visibility is seen is seen in His picture. That is the picture, if you will, that Jesus Christ draws for us, and while He was on earth especially, that He had drawn for us so that we could comprehend who the Father was. Now here's where I know we're going to flip for just a moment. Go back with me if you would. You're there in Colossians, so go back to your left, flip back, or flip toward your right from your left. Go back to the book of John. When you get to go to the first chapter of the book of John, the Gospel of John, go to the very first chapter. And I want to read a little bit of the context there from the first chapter of the book of John, verse 1 beginning. Here's what it says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, and all things, watch this, we'll need this later too, all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him, that's Jesus, was the life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, verse 5, and the darkness comprehendeth it not. Now, if you've read that, you see the first, first uh, few phrases in verse 1 and 2. It says that God Himself, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word what? Was God. Now, to solve the mystery of what the Word, W-O-R-D, Word is, and, and many of you as Bible students already know this, but we need to let Scripture speak, not, not what you think in your mind or me in mine, but drop down to verse 14, and the Word. Notice how the word, Word is capitalized. This referring to a personality or a person. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and watch this now, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and of truth. 
What's that scripture telling us? It tells us that when Jesus came into a fleshly body, skin and bones body, that he was doing so in order that, or for the purpose that, we might know God, we might see God, we might experience God in the fullness of the Godhead in body. Now, why did they, in the daytime of writing, first century time, why did they need that? And by the same measure, why do we need that? It's because of verse 18 of John. John chapter 1 and verse 18. For no man, that's not any, for no man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, in whom... It, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. So we've not seen God. We wouldn't see God. We wouldn't know God except for that fleshly body, verse 14, come down, and except that fleshly body show us God. Matter of fact, the very last phrase there, he hath declared him, literally means he's taken before our eyes and unfolded the character of God so that we might see the entirety of the vision. So Jesus Christ makes visible the invisible, and he does it first here by picture. Now go back to our context. We're in Colossians chapter 1, remember. Go back over to Colossians chapter 1. Let's reread the phrase there again in verse 15. Who is, Jesus is, who is the image of the invisible God. This comes from a Greek word, which I don't know much Greek, but I do look into it a little bit, try to understand it a little bit. Who is the image? The word image there means literally he's the icon. Jesus is the iconic representation to us because he's invisible, remember, because he became flesh, remember, he's the iconic rest, uh, revealing of God himself toward us. Practical sense, you remember when computers came out, PCs, desktops, laptops, whatever, and, and today it's more called an app, but it serves the same purpose. There's always a picture, an icon, a representative there on the screen that you can either click, tap, or punch, and it brings up the entirety of what you want to see. That's it. Jesus Christ makes visible the invisible because of the picture he draws. Number next, and we're going to drop down. We're in Colossians chapter 1 still, but I want to drop down from verse 15. Let's read verse 18 and 19 together. But he also makes visible the invisible because not just the picture he draws, but because the preeminence he delivers. Look into verse 18 of this text. We read across it. We'll use it again later, but here's what is stated. And he, speaking of Jesus again, is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have. See that next word? That's a big old word. Preeminence. Again, the idea is there that Jesus Christ stands above everything in both time and in space. Now, why do you say time and space, Jim? Because if you'll stop, and I don't want you to, to uh, blow your own mind. I've blown mine in the past trying to consider. But if you'll stop and think, there's nothing we know about, nothing we sense, nothing that exists, save what two things, time and space. 
Either we know it over time or we touch it, we feel it, we smell it, we hear it, we exist along beside it in space. And he, Jesus, is preeminent. Now, now that preeminence would not be visible to me. The preeminence of God would not be visible to me. Say Jesus Christ did not embody that. Say Jesus Christ, as the statement is made here in verse 18, if he had not been the head of the body, the church, if he had not been in that case the beginning and the firstborn, that is, he's the firstborn of his kind in his time, but we too are born after the same pattern or of the same loins, that is of God. So you consider that, we understand then that he, that is Jesus, is representative. He's the icon, the image of God. Once was invisible, but now clearly seen. So number one, I love Jesus. You might love him the same because he makes the invisible that which is visible. Number two, Reading on a little bit in the context, that was basically just the phrases there in verse 15. We also learn that he makes, in this sense, the uncertainties certain. I can love Jesus because he makes the uncertainties of my life certain. Now, now we all know what it means to have uncertainties. And that's a, that, there's a lot of t-t-t at the end of that for me to say. But we know what it's like to have the uncertainties of life. There's a whole lot. Well, really nearly everything about the future, save heaven itself, save what God reveals, we don't know. I mean, honestly, we think we know. I think that my day will consist of coming to Glencoe, Alabama, which thus far it has. I think it will consist of me teaching Bible class, thus far it has. I think it will consist of me preaching and guiding us in in a study here, thus far I am. But I also think that my day will continue on by me driving back to Mumford, Alabama, sitting down on my couch, enjoying time with my children, playing a game with my son. But that's just what I think. That's really not certain. Now, in the context here, we're not talking about my life, my day-to-day, my schedule for the day. We're talking about the certainty that God Himself, through His Son, offered. Verse 16, For by Him, that's Jesus, were all things created. Now, drop a pen right there, and I want to tell you, the certainty that Jesus puts forth right here, out of this uncertain life, is He puts certainty in our past. This may not seem like a big deal or as I say sometimes a big whoop to us, but let's consider this for a moment. Let's think about it. You and I, as children of God, as followers of Christ, as lovers of God, we have a certainty about our past. It has to do with creation. For He, that's Jesus, hath created all things. He did it. Somebody says, now wait a minute, I read in the book of Genesis, the first three verses, especially the very first verse, in the beginning, I'm trying to quote John now, in the beginning God made the heavens and the earth. Yes, ma'am, yes, sir, yes, friend, we read that, we read that, we know that. And that stands against all other theories, all other thought. 
But as we read across a moment ago, also back in the book of John, I don't ask you to turn there, but I did draw it out and I hope you can remember some of it. When we read there also that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And prior to that, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. We're reading right here to connect with that. All things were created by Him. And as John said, without Him was not anything made that was made. It's puzzling to me. We, my wife and I and children sat down. If I could come up with a link for this, I'll share it on Facebook for, for you Facebookers. And then you can just write it down for your friends. We watched a, a little documentary thing last night. I've watched it twice. My wife has watched it twice. We wanted the children to see it. But it was basically a man. Uh, he's not a member of the church. He's not a Christian. But he went around as a religious thinker, I guess you'd say, and he went directly to some university where they absolutely teach. They were the professors who teach atheism, the professors who teach uh, evolution. And he went face-to-face, toe-to-toe with those people, and by the end of the program, scrambled all their minds with, with pure Scripture and logic, made a fool out of every one of them, because all they could talk about was a theory. Or a thought. Or, or I believes. They said faith doesn't exist. He said, you got faith to believe what you believe. And I won't go through the whole argument, but at the end of all of it, what did he say? God made this. God made you. And he made it the way he made it. It's remained the way he made it. It's not changed. You see, our past is certain. His was, or those, those men and women, theirs wasn't. Because they were even arguing among themselves over how things started. We know. Somebody asked me one day, actually asked me, said, do you believe in evolution? I said, no, not for a skinny minute. Well, do you believe in theistic evolution? They said, they throw that kink in there, be careful with the question. And that means that God created it and then allowed it to evolve. The fish became a man, and so I said, no, sir, no, ma'am, I don't. Because I read that God created all things as they are, complete and present. Because my past is sure. You see, He makes the uncertain things certain, considered my past. Now, let's look on the Scripture there. We just read the first phrase there. We've got a lot of phrases here. We read the first phrase in verse 16, not only our past, but our present. He makes, he makes our present sure. Notice what it said. By Him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, that are visible, that are invisible, whether it be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, and all things were created by Him. Yes, watch the next phrase though. And for Him. For Him. What do you mean for with the idea of the word for here, and we've got to be careful, we've got to measure context, look at context, consider context, and try to understand some things. But the idea of the word for here is the idea that Jesus Christ Himself, as stated here, He made all things, and that when He made all things, He made them with a specific purpose, and that purpose was to be in Him, in His presence, in His possession. For Him. 
You ever been in a place, and I'm talking about certainty here. Now, I'm still talking about certainty, but not certainty of our past, but certainty of our present. Have you ever gotten in a place mentally where you think to yourself something of this form? What is this world coming to? What, in, what is this world coming to? I'll tell you what it's coming to. It's coming to Jesus. In time and eternity, this world is coming to Jesus. Now, not everybody's willing on this side of eternity. Not everybody's desiring of that. But in ultimate fruition of all of it, we're all, as the Scriptures tell us, every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess. This world's coming to Jesus. Now, now they may come to Jesus and stand before Him as judge, and He may condemn or, Lord willing, as we would desire, before, as us, we would come before Jesus and He would be our judge too, but He would commend. Not commended for our actual action, if you will, but for our performance of what He required. Not, not, not just of good works, not just of, uh, as He stated there in Matthew chapter 7, we're going to use this a little bit later on in the month if I finish thinking what I'm thinking about, but not just in the sense of Matthew 7 and verse 21 beginning when Jesus said, and many will come unto me in the day and say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Lord, have we, many of us, have we not cast out devils in thy name? It's not that. It's not a profession. It's a confession. And the word confession biblically means to be in agreement with. So what about our present? In our present, we're continually coming to Jesus. We've got to come to Jesus. You, you've all heard your parents, or maybe you hadn't all heard your parents. I heard my mama say, we're fixing to have a come to Jesus moment. We're coming to Jesus. Number next. Not only in our past we find this surety, if you will. We find this certainty. that We find it in our present. We're going to find it in the future. Read the scripture again. You're in verse 16 is where we've been reading. Look down into verse 17. Well, let me read 16 and put it with verse 17. That's the way to study. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are on earth, that are visible, that are invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or, or powers or things, to come, or, or things that were created by him. All things were created by him and for him. Watch this now. And he is before all things. We've already read across this now. And he is before all things. And by him were all, do all things consist. That means our potential is locked. The word consists there means to mold and hold together. If this world is hanging on the, on, the, on the hem of anything, it's hanging on the hem of Jesus, on His garments. And what He's done with this world to this point is to maintain it. I think we will turn one more time... Um, Turn in your Old Testaments to Genesis chapter 8. Genesis chapter 8 and verse 22. We've already looked one time over into the book of John, the Gospel of John. Let's go to Genesis chapter 8. 
And when you get there, drop down to verse 22. Let's just read this verse together. Genesis 8 and verse 22, talking about our potential and, and the fact that by Him do all things consist. Here's what is stated here. Genesis 8 and verse 22. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night, watch the next phrase, shall not cease. You know how, how hard this flies in the face of, of much of the world today? The one who tell you that if your car uses too much fuel, too many doesn't get enough miles per gallon, you're, you're going to destroy the earth. The one who tells you that if you cast that plastic bottle, throw it out in your yard, you're ruining the earth. If you don't turn off the lights in your living room and click the lamp, then you're ruining this earth. You know what this says to them? I'll use the Greek word and I'll spell it. B-O-L-O-G-N-A. Baloney. Now, now I, I, don't, I want the best gas mileage I can get because I want to be able to drive the farthest on the least dollar. I, I, would not, I wouldn't throw my trash out in the yard and leave it because I would rather it be carried to a better facility besides my yard. And I turn off my lights for the same purpose of the gas. I, I want my power bill to be low. But I'm not fooled into thinking that I'm a finite human. I'm going to destroy what God created. Not only by Him, but for Him, that it says right here, by Him do all things He holds together. I love Jesus. Number next. Not only do I love Jesus because He makes the invisible things visible, he makes the uncertain things certain. But He also makes the unreconcilable reconcilable. You say, well, that's a, that's a 50 cent word. Let's see it on the page and then let's understand it for what is actually stated here. Colossians chapter 1. We've already read verse 18. We'll pick up there though. And He is the head of the body, the church, who is, the first, who is from the beginning the firstborn of the dead, that in all things, uh, that in all things he might have preeminence, for it pleased the Father that in him all fullness should dwell. And having made peace, keyword, through the blood of his cross, keyword, by him to really keyword, reconcile all things unto himself. Meaning he's going to pull everything back. Reign it in. By Him I say, whether they be things that are in earth or things that are in heaven, He's going to make them to be reconciled. Now the word reconcile literally means to put together. It's an old accounting term for the first century, which is like us saying, I'm going to reconcile, I'm going to um, balance my checkbook. So what's being said here? Those of us, which ultimately in the beginning is all of us, who are unreconcilable, who cannot balance with, who cannot, here's a big word for us folks, jihal with God, He puts us with Him. 
You ever been in company? I've been in company a lot. We're, we are country come to town when my family leaves the house. You ever been in country where you just felt out of place? Now, that shouldn't be the case, but we do sometimes because of social and economic standards or whatever that men make up. We just feel like we're out of place, like we don't, we, you know, we don't fit here. We don't belong there. We say sometimes about the cross, it did what? All the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Because why? Literally what's being stated is that he reconciled things. He balanced things. He took a sinful, finite human being like myself and he balanced him with the king of the entire universe. And he gave us the same thing he offered to his son. All the riches and the blessings of life. On the spiritual side, yes. But he offers us all of that. Now let's ask some questions of this last part of this text. And we'll, we'll close out with this. Under that main heading that he, he makes the unreconcilable reconcilable. Let's first of all ask the question, who did it? You know the answer. We've, that's all we've been studying, right? I love Jesus. You love Jesus. We ought to love Jesus because He did it. That's what is stated right there in the beginning part of this that we've read over and over again in verse 18. And He is the head of the body, the firstborn of the church, who is the firstborn of every creature, and all things might have preeminence. And it pleased the Father that Him all fullness should dwell. And having made peace, verse 20, through the blood of His cross by Him to reconcile all things to himself. Who did it? Jesus did it. God, using Jesus as the tool, as the motivator, as the uh, mode, God used Jesus to reconcile us. So he did it. Who did it? Next, what did he do? Well, stated right here in the Scripture. We read across it already. We're just going back into verse 19 again. It pleased the Father in him all fullness to dwell, and having made peace. That's what he did. He made peace between myself, between yourself, as, as and if we are Christians, between us and God. It's not a peace treaty like it's done today. It's not where two sides get together and say, well, you know what, I, I'll do what I want to do and you do what you want to do and we're just going to agree we're going to do what we want to do. It's not that. It's the side where God's standard is set and I step up to that, po to that podium and I say, you know what, I need peace, I want peace and by the blood of your son I can have peace because I'm going your way. I'm walking your walk. Who, what, where did he do it? Read right here. And having made peace through the blood of his cross. That's where the peace was made. Without that peace offering, the shedding of that blood, there was no peace. Reviewing your scripture sometime when you make time, not have time, you've got to make it. But look into Hebrews chapter 10 and you'll learn a lot about offerings of the Old Testament and how those offerings of the Old Testament, the blood of bulls and goats, could not take away sin. They were inadequate. But Jesus is altogether adequate. He's it. Who did it? Jesus. What did he do? He made peace. When did he do it? At the cross. 
Why? Why? Right here. Verse 19, For it pleased the Father that in Him all fullness should dwell. That's why He did it. Are you telling me, is, are the Scriptures telling me that Jesus pleased the Father? That's it. Where does that leave me and you? Needing and hopefully desiring to please the Father. Why? Because I love Him. Because He first loved me. I love Jesus. Those invisible things I cannot see, He made all that visible. Those uncertain things that I do not want to face, He made all those things certain. And the best of all, that unreconcilable man I am, He offered us to be reconciled. That's why the next verse there, verse 20, talks about you once being aliens. I do want to add one scripture here, one verse, verse 23. If you continue in the faith, if you continue in the faith, grounded, settled, be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard and which was preached in every creature under heaven, of which I Paul and made a minister. What does that mean? It means that there is a point, there has been a point, there continues to be in our minds past, that point where, yes, at the cross, Jesus decided and chose by the will of God to please God, and He died. Yes, that's it. But it also means there has to be points in our lives where we are willing, if we fail, to keep coming back. If you be grounded, if you be settled. If you're here this morning and you are a child of God's, then, then I will assume that everything we've said, although you may not have said it yourself that way, I wouldn't have spoken this way. God had to do it for me. But there may be things that we said or all of what we said, you probably said, that's about right. I, you know, I didn't consider that, but that's it. Question then is the latter. Are you grounded and settled? Have you continued and will you continue in that? That's the love that you have for God. That's why you love Him. But if you're here this morning, you're not a child of God's. And by that I mean, and by that God means that you have not become His child. Now, how would one become His child? Well, one becomes His child through being obedient to Him. It's not what man requires. It's not what man sets as a standard. It's not what man calls for. It's what God calls for. 
And Jesus, while he sat physically on the earth as flesh, John 1, 14, sat before different groups, different multitudes of people, and he said things like this. John 8 and verse 24 is one of the records, except you believe that I am he. That was the teaching, by the way, of, of John 1, 1 to 3. Jesus is God. And the I am there is existent in the past, present, and potential. It's, it's, it's complete, it's full, it's satisfactory. Jesus sitting before a multitude one day, a call upon them, I assume, out of a, almost a negative standpoint, because they needed the negative. And on two occasions recorded in the book of Luke, Luke 13, 3, and also in verse 5, he said, I tell you, but except you repent. Tell you nay, but except you repent, you'll all likewise perish. Why should we perish when he's trying to hold us together? Disobedience. Turning away. It was Jesus who sat on the earth, called upon his disciples, and extending all unto all of us as we would consider ourselves to be disciples or desire to be disciples. And it's recorded in Matthew chapter 10 when he spoke there and said, You know, whosoever shall deny me before me, and him will I deny before my Father which is in heaven. We don't want to be denied. He created us, He kept us. Now he denies us? He said he would. But he also went on there as recorded in verse 33 to say, if you want to confess me before men, I can do the same thing. I'm paraphrasing that. But him so I confess before the Father which is in heaven. Because all he's doing is trying to set us up to command upon us as recorded in Mark 16, 16. He that believeth, yes, I believe. And is baptized with same, with the same importance and emphasis shall be saved. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Question is, have I been obedient? You say, well, I love him. I love him. I love him. I love him. Jesus said, and this is yet the last thing we'll say. In John 14 and verse 15, Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. Keep the Lord's commandments as we stand and sing.